0: Why are nurses so underrepresented in the media and what can we do about it? Let's talk all about it with my colleague Barbara Glickstein right here on episode 256 of The Nurse Keith Show. Well, hello, and welcome to the Nurse Keith Show. I love having you along for the ride, whether you're new to the show or you've been on this journey with me for months or years. As always, thanks for being part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. This podcast is all about you and your nursing and healthcare career, and I'm here to share education, ideas, diatribes, and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, nursing, entrepreneurship, medicine, technology, and beyond. This episode of the Nurse Keith Show is brought to you by Incredible Health, where hospitals apply to nurses instead of the other way around. You can create a profile in about three minutes and then sit back and relax as the interview requests come to you. With Incredible Health, nurses get hired three times faster than the usual application and hiring process. So simply go to IncredibleHealth.com forward slash Keith to set up your profile and find your next job. I thank Incredible Health for their generous support. And did you know that Nurse Keith Coaching is your one-stop shop for all things related to your career? That's right. I offer individualized coaching for nurses and healthcare professionals around the world. And if you mention the show, you'll get 10% off your first coaching package. Email me today at keith@nursekeith.com, at and we'll schedule a complimentary consult to explore how coaching can help you have the most satisfying life and career possible. Meanwhile, if you want to see the show notes for this episode, you can follow along at nursekeith.com forward slash episode two, five, six. And today we're welcoming friend of the pod, Barbara Glickstein. Barbara, let's get right into it, shall we? In your opinion, why are nurses so underrepresented in the media?
1: Well, it's not just an opinion. I can talk to you about a study that uh, was just uh, published in 2018. That was a revisit of a study that was originally done in 1997 where I actually have data and some answers as to why the media has ignored nurses and have been invisible in the media and that nurses have not been a strategic as we can be to make ourselves available as sources, expert sources, for health news reporting. Uh, There are multiple threads and answers to that question, Keith, also including that marketing and public affairs departments in major universities and medical centers throughout the country fail to recommend nurses as experts to health reporters, as well as they are not pitching stories from the schools of nursing faculty, doctoral students, graduate students about their areas of expertise to reporters. So there are multiple responsible parties here and the data is important I think to share because I think it will help people understand that this is not a new issue and in fact an original study in 1997 titled the Woodhull study on nurses and the media healthcare's invisible partner 20 years later we basically have not seen enough of a change or spoiler alert any change
0: I know this is a deep subject and we need to unpack it slowly and carefully um, because there's so many aspects of it. So the first thing I want to ask though is do sexism or patriarchy play a role here because of the history of the nursing profession as kind of the, the, the handmaiden of largely a male doctor population? Is that part of the history here?
1: Absolutely. Okay sexism in the media across the board, um, not only in our profession, Uh, But the Women's Media Center, which is located in Washington, D.C., every year does a report on women as sources on op-ed page, their bylines on front pages. So those are both the female reporters as well as sources. Again, throughout the news media, there is a tremendous underrepresentation of those experts. And nursing being anywhere from, what do we say? 95 to 97 percent female. Um, this is a question of power and hierarchy, and that sexism exists uh, in the in the media coverage of why nurses are not seen. There are there are biases, and these biases are reflected uh, in journalism. Uh, I think it's also worth noting that. We have, uh, there were a second phase of our study 20 years after the Woodhull study. We added a phase where we interviewed journalists, 10 top health reporters across the country, and asked them uh, Do you use nurses as sources for your health news stories? If you do, how has it changed the framing or the 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 delivery of that uh, ability to cover that issue. And if you don't, what are the obstacles and why don't you use it? And that was quite telling as well.
0: So what did those questions or the responses to those questions tell you? What are a couple findings that you would like to elucidate? right here and now?
1: Well, first of all, journalists didn't fully understand the range of nurses' roles, our work, and the level of our education. Okay. They they also, when they wanted to use a nurse uh, on a particular issue, they had a difficult time finding them at, and tracking them down. And as you know, um, Keith, most journalists are on a deadline. Some of them are on a same-day deadline, and others may be on a a deadline in a couple of days. So if they can't locate you because you're hidden on the, in the digital space, you're not recognizable on in, uh, immediately on either LinkedIn or on the web, your own web page, or if you're a faculty member, it's not easy to find you, then they have to try and locate an email. There's often not a mobile phone number available. And there's just so much time that journalists have to locate a source the other thing that we found out uh, as i mentioned just a moment ago is there were times journalists told us that they would call a marketing or public affairs department at a major medical center academic medical center or uh, university and ask for a nurse and be directed to a a medical doctor Uh, so we um, we also heard from them that editors who decide whether a story gets published or put on TV or producers uh, in the uh, you know in the media space would tell them why are you using a nurse I'd much rather prefer you use a physician and I think the same reasons uh, that I've elucidated to to be include sexism a lack of knowledge of the expertise of nurses we have a lot of credentials that are hard earned and critically important to the abilities and capabilities and competencies of being a nurse. But 13 letters after a nurse's name uh, indicating all of those certifications and perhaps a DNP, a PhD, are really quite confusing to journalists. And they are human and often feel slightly unsure how to approach a question to a nurse unless they immediately help Them understand I'm a critical care nurse specialist with a doctorate. My research is this. And I'm also certified in this. What we did hear from journalists uh, who do use nurses or have used nurses is that it often completely broadened the frame of their story. So, for example, uh, a journalist reported to us that he was covering a story on, um, on the opioid addiction and was connected with a nurse who was very engaged in both the clinical area of Um, substance use and abuse, as well as teaching it in an academic setting and working to develop community-based programming. And as a public health nurse in that field, she was quite helpful in this reporter thinking about it in more than just the straight treatment discussion. And he said that it really changed his ability to be much more comprehensive. And we heard that type of response a number of times. What we, in speaking to one broadcast journalist uh, in uh, who works for National Public Radio, uh, their response was that the scope of practice issue was one that he was reporting on. And through that investigation, he became more familiar with the different types of levels of education and clinical expertise. Um, and then on the other hand, we heard stories like, why would I talk to a bedside nurse? I'm not sure that she would have much to add to a story. So there was a stigma and bias. Um, about what perhaps um, is really not true in terms of what staff nurses and bedside nursing bring to the clinical experience, to health education, to understanding the economics of of a hospitalization on the patient and family. And uh, finally, one reporter uh, who covers health policy and health economics said that he's never spoken to a nurse Um, for a policy piece or a health economics piece. And he was reminded that a chief nursing officer of any hospital is overseeing the budget of the largest staff in that hospital and most likely has a very good handle on the economics of what it takes to run that institution. So our our research was quite informative. It's given us some strategic goals and approaches. But it also, I think in those conversations and those 10 reporters, uh, we stopped after 10 because we started hearing a lot of the same response, that we also began to educate health reporters on what why nurses are excellent sources for health news stories.
0: Wow, Barbara. <laughs> so you all have uncovered a... Pandora's box of information or a can of worms, however you want to, whatever metaphor you'd like to use for it. And it seems like we have a long way to go and a lot of work to do. And, you know, I talk to a lot of nurses and many kind of boots on the ground nurses out there working in hospitals and health centers and facilities, et cetera. When I talk to them and I ask them about having a social media presence, many of them say, I don't do social media or, you know, I'm too private or no, I'm not on LinkedIn because I don't want anyone reaching out to me um, or I don't want anyone to see who I am and what I do and where I live, etc." So there's a lot of feelings among many nurses I've encountered that being online and having a face out there as a professional is not a good idea. So... I've been getting a lot of nurses to begin at least using LinkedIn because recruiters hang out there, colleagues hang out there, and I'm assuming journalists also use it. And I get reached out to fairly frequently by journalists for stories. And I they Google, you know, nurses and I come up. So they reach out to me. And granted, I've been working online for a very, very long time, but... For me, it's hard for me to understand how a journalist in 2019 or 2020 would be able to say, "I don't know how to find a nurse online." Because if I went on Google and googled like "nurse thought leader" or "nurse leader" or et cetera, I would immediately find dozens, if not more, people to reach out to so it seems like part of it is that the journalists just don't know they don't understand and you pointed out that they don't get what our expertise is and what all those letters mean so (laughs) there's a lot of media outlets out there so where do we begin and what can an individual nurse do to kind of begin to turn the tide in this, no matter how small that particular action might be, what would she do? uh,
1: If I can, I want to go down some of the points that you've raised and answer that question. Uh, and I've been doing media training for nurses now over 10 years. My colleague and I, Dr. Diana Mason, who's the principal investigator and co-investigator on the Woodhull study, as well as Dr. Christy Welsfin, uh and the Berkeley Media Studies Group, uh, Laura, Laura Dixon, who's not a nurse, um, as well as two colleagues, she they did the scrubbing of data on our study and helped with the analysis. Mm. And my experience in media training and working across uh, levels of um, both education, clinical expertise, faculty, thought leaders, is that we do have the leaders of the pack, and they are the ones who are out there, they're active on all the media platforms, social media platforms, and see it as part of their professional work. Then I also have had with respectfully that there are people who will never go on Twitter or who do not want to have a LinkedIn profile. Mm -hmm. And I would suggest that it's not a moral issue, but it's a questionable um, concern given that anybody who buys anything online has a profile that's already been adapted by what they're purchasing. And we could talk about safety and privacy probably for an hour, but we'll just put that aside for a moment.
0: Yes, we could talk about that for an hour.
1: And and there are reasons that people either would not use their real name or profile um, and keep something professionally aside from privately or vice versa just do something professionally And I have never taken that position but I have chosen to be um, probably like you very much engaged in um, media engagement for a very for quite a while now. So having said that um, for those who are in the leader of the pack we're really excited and we want to join you always and move these issues forward, particularly when it has to do with advocating on behalf of patients, families, and communities. For those of you who are curious and are listening, I'm going to speak to you next and suggest that that first important move, um, I think what Keith said, is to really develop a LinkedIn profile. And you get to write your own biography. You get to put up there what publications, maybe what interviews you've already done, or um, what your interests are. At a minimum, you should have a LinkedIn profile. And what journalists um, what when I mentioned and, and as reported in our study, when a journalist Googles your name and you don't come up as who I may have recommended that journalist to call you and re, and and interview you, and your name is down on the bottom of page one or on the top of page two. and it's a poorly described uh, not updated profile. They're going to wonder, why did Barbara Glickstein suggest this nurse in palliative care and hospice when she hasn't published on it recently? she's not it's not really clear to me where she's working, if she's still working, where she was working in two thousand and two. So the first thing I recommend in my media training on the area of branding and how one puts themselves out there is to Google themselves and see, are you creating the profile that reflects who you are, and your expertise, and your background, or is someone else doing it? And if someone else is doing it, are you happy with the way that you are being represented in the digital space? So LinkedIn is probably the most, um, I'll use the word benign for lack of a better word at the moment, the most um, you're in control. Now, whether or not you, fo- everyone who then wants to follow you or be connected with you, you choose to do is really a personal decision. There are many people who want me to follow them or be connected to me and I have no idea who they are or why they want to. We don't seem to be in the same space of healthcare and advocacy and um patient you know, patient issues and political health policy issues. Um sometimes I just ignore it or I delete it. Other spaces, um, again, you know, getting your toes wet. Sometimes people say, I just lurk and I don't post anything. Well, that's the beginning. You can see that um, it's a place where you can make connections and network. So, that's in response to your first two points, and, and whether, whether journalists can find people by just Googling thought leaders, I want to tell you that they may get the name of that person and that you're easy to find because you have a high-profile uh, in the digital space, but if I recommended someone who's doing incredible work on youth and incarceration and health issues, and their research is excellent and that could be found, but then you can't find a phone number for them, and you're on deadline, you're going to move on to the next person, because many people don't get to their email to the end of the day. So my other recommendation for those um, interested in being easier to find or who may not want to be found but have an area of expertise and colleagues who are trying to build their profile to be a source for health news, make an agreement with those colleagues in that same area of expertise, that you will bump that reporter over to a colleague and you have permission to share their contact information. You may be getting on a plane to go on that very, very well-deserved vacation or in the middle of taking care of a patient. And the first question you should always ask a journalist when they reach you is, are you on deadline? And if they are, then you can also say, I need 15 minutes to complete this task and I'll get right back to you. Or they may say, hey, I'm on deadline, but it's not doodle Friday and then schedule something with you. Your first question should be, are you on deadline? Uh, And that will help the reporter know whether or not you will be available either in 15 minutes or later that day or the next day. And finally, what else can nurses do or not finally is for those of you who are really interested in media, after you've Googled yourself to see how easy it is you are to find or not and then fix that. Uh, If you are working at um, an institution, you may want to be sure you visit with the marketing and public affairs department, schedule a meeting and say, I'm interested in being available to the media. Here's my area of expertise. Do you offer any media training? Is any media training offered at the place of work? Uh, or where you're being educated currently. You can find out whether or not there is media training so you can feel more confident about framing and messaging, which is a skill that um, can be learned and then um, become better at with each interview. You can create your own blog. You can start putting your name and expertise out there. So there, the, it requires an action as well as a as a, a wish um, to implement some of that action. I know everyone's really busy and these would be things that you would have to find time to do. And again, being, being part of the media landscape, I find helps me maintain relevancy. I find it very exciting. I'm very careful about evaluating the media sources and checking my sources to be sure that this is something I'm going to share or, or, um, or question uh, in terms of validity and 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 whether or not this is a piece of information I should be sharing without being sure that it's from a good source. So media competency, whether it's media analysis, media readiness for interviews, or supporting media uh, that is advocating on behalf of not only the profession, but on positions that we stand for as ethical professionals, as the most trusted profession, and as people who are, you know, as we say, uh, with uh, people and their families who are facing health issues and health crises 24-7. So our knowledge and our ability to communicate are two skills that are needed in the health news space.
0: Barbara, you're brilliant, and this this information is so important, and the way that you frame it and articulate it is just spot on. So you're speaking my language, and we're going to take a really quick break, and when we come back, I want to talk about the World Health Organization and the Year of the Nurse and Florence Nightingale's 200th birthday in 2020, and also about what you do and Barbara Glickstein's work as a media strategist and what people might find when they Google you and what they find. Um, What do you have out there on the world? I want people to know about that. And I want to talk a little bit more about the Woodhull study, the revisit of the Woodhull study. So we'll be right back for the second half of episode 256. So now we're going to take a pause for the cause for just a moment. This episode of the Nurse Keith Show is sponsored by Incredible Health, where hospitals apply to nurses instead of the other way around. You can create a profile in about three minutes and then sit back and relax as the interview requests for permanent jobs come to you. With Incredible Health, nurses and nurse practitioners get hired three times faster than the usual application and hiring process of 90 days or more, and you have access to their support team who help you every step of the way. On average, nurses who get hired through Incredible Health receive a 17% pay increase and a 15% decrease in commute time. They work with more than 200 academic and community hospitals across the country, including Stanford, Baylor Scott and White, and Cedars Sinai. If you're seeking work in California, Florida, Texas, and Illinois, sign up right now. And if you're in another state, check back every month as more states are being regularly added and if you sign up at incrediblehealth.com forward slash nurse keith you'll receive your choice of a tiffany necklace or bose bluetooth speaker once you accept a job offer i thank incredible health for their generous support and remember to head on over to incrediblehealth.com forward slash nurse keith Please consider becoming a patron of The Nurse Keith Show, just like other listeners who value the show so much, they want to give just a little bit each month to support the work we're doing here. When you pledge, you not only get the satisfaction of helping produce and support the show, you also get some pretty cool premiums and gifts directly from yours truly. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash nursekeith to read all about it. That's P A T R E O N.com forward slash nursekeith. Finally, if someone you know could benefit from career coaching with me, consider referring them. And if they become a paying client, you'll receive credit for an hour of coaching with me. And there's no expiration date on that credit. So you can keep it in your back pocket until you need it most. And remember that you refer as many people as you like and can continue to earn coaching credits. What a deal. Those are my sincere asks of you, dear listener. So now let's dig back into today's episode. Thank you for hanging out here at the Nurse Keith Show. We're speaking with Barbara Glickstein, a nurse based in New York City, who is also a media strategist. She's an RN, MPH, and has a master's in science and nursing, public health nurse, health reporter, and so much more. So Barbara, right before the break, we were talking about so many things. And what I wanted to jump right back into was this whole notion of an online presence. and. I do LinkedIn coaching. I teach nurses how to use LinkedIn. And many often say, well, I don't want to do that or "Or I'm afraid. And it is a fairly benign space, as you said in the first half. And sure, there's people out there fishing for clients and all that stuff. And I ignore or reject a lot of invitations to connect because there's, like you said, people like, I don't need to be connected to a used car salesman in Perth, Australia, right? So I'm very careful about who I connect with. And I often tell people just for your professional development, being on LinkedIn is important because you may be at a job that you think is going to last till you retire, but things change. You know, there's always changes out there in the landscape and you may eventually need to search for a job. And I always say, create a robust professional network that you can tap at any time for any reason throughout your career whether it's looking for a job or figuring out where to go to school or anything else that comes along so that's my usually what I tell people that's my little diatribe about LinkedIn it's just an important place to hang out and When people say, oh, I don't want people to have my email and my phone number, I say, well, create an email that you only use for professional purposes, separate from your personal email, and get a Google Voice number, which is free, so people don't have access to your own phone number. There's plenty of ways to create more privacy and to protect yourself. So I just wanted to say that right off the bat, especially for anyone listening who still needs to be convinced that an online presence is important.
1: Absolutely. I, I I just want to add to that. Um, my daughter is a senior uh, person in uh, human resources, except in the world that she's in, which is the uh, high tech uh, startup world. They're called it's called people opportunity, and many of those spaces are health related. And as you know, and they go to LinkedIn to search for people they want to recruit to their companies. So you've mentioned that um, as well. And I I want to underscore how often that is used in a human resources um, department to recruit for very highly um, regarded positions. And I think uh, we should not only assume when searching for work that it would be hospital-based H.R., uh, system, some incredible appointments by nurse colleagues are now in the startup world where their contribution to the development of social uh, software, to applications, has been critically important and highly respected and highly paid. So it's another area where we are uh, in. And if anybody listening has an interest in technology, I would urge you to make sure you have a LinkedIn page. Uh, although I, I'd, I'd encourage everybody to have a LinkedIn page, LinkedIn's more like a website now, even than a, just a platform for your name and, and address and resume, et cetera. You can stream your, if you're on Twitter, if you have an article you can share on there. So it has, it's a multi, multi, uh, media platform now and, and, and could be just one space that you visit in your busy lives.
0: Exactly. And social media is a great place to keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening in your specialty or anything else you're interested in. And right. LinkedIn, you can, it's like having your own personal website. And I always say it's like a resume on steroids. So you can have <laughs> recommendations, endorsements, you can you know, follow certain companies, you can highlight your dissertation or an article you wrote, or you could write your own articles right on LinkedIn. They have a native uh, publishing platform. So, you know, we could talk about this for hours too. And my audience has heard this before, (laughs) but yes, it is important. And for you, your online presence is very strong, similar to mine. You're at Barbara You're also on Facebook, Twitter, Mm -hmm. and LinkedIn. So you have a fairly broad presence as well.
1: I do. I'm mainly using Twitter. I'm on a bit of a hold with Facebook based on some political things that are happening right now with Facebook. Mm -hmm. So you can find me on Twitter at B Glickstein. I encourage you to follow me and I'll um, follow you back and we, we can share the world of nurse Twitter together.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a lot going on out there. I've met business partners on Twitter. So, you know, stranger things have happened. Um, and I've made tons of friends on social media and have really broadened my world. And that includes journalists, reporters, recruiters, all sorts of really cool people. So mm-hmm. circling back to the Woodhull study and what you've seen in terms of why journalists overlook such an enormous rich resources of resource of nurses out there in the world when we have this online presence and when we're open to these sorts of questions that come our way or submissions for our opinion it's it's important that we realize that we're representing ourselves and also the profession at large right mm-hmm. so how do we How do we reconcile when, say, we're talking to a journalist and we have a certain personal opinion, we are concerned about how our employer might view that. And a few minutes ago, you recommended speaking to the marketing department at our employers um, in the HR or whatever. So... What do we say to an employer? And I know you mentioned this earlier, but I want to dig a little deeper. And how do we make sure we're not doing anything that will endanger either our reputation at work or our job? What do we do and what's the strategy there?
1: Uh, That's an important point. And I respectfully understand that a lot of institutions put the fear out there of how dangerous or potentially dangerous the use of social media is. If you are employed by whatever institution you're employed by, at this stage, um, I would say probably not so much so when I went on Twitter 10 years ago, um, people are, um, most institutions have what's called a social media policy. And I would recommend that if you don't know it, that you find it out. And that would be the first step, in terms of what you would be concerned about in terms of how uh, the guidelines from your institution. I would also suggest that you have a right to be a citizen and a separate licensed uh, individual in the world as a citizen with free speech, and you can choose to be interviewed and not have your affiliation mentioned. Um, I would think that through, um, however, that is something that I've done in the past, and I have chosen not to speak as an employee of the institution I worked for. I wasn't uh, disrespecting or reporting on anything going on at that institution, but the interview was one that was uh, asked of me separate from my particular work at that time. Having said that, Um, It strengthens who you are by you mentioning your affiliation, and probably most people are proud of their affiliations. Um, I would leave that up to you. But first and foremost, find out when you're asked by a reporter, uh, if you are available for an interview, if they haven't gone through the public affairs department or marketing department, and they are asking you to speak as a Uh, As an employee of X institution, you really do, you are responsible to call the marketing and public affairs department and let them know that they've been, you've been approached by this journalist from the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Washington Post, local regional paper. And that's to protect you. Um, Most journalists will know that they have to go through that department. You're not asking them to do anything that they don't already know. The days are over of people showing up and walking a hallway and talking to a nurse randomly about a situation. I've been producing and hosting radio for a long time, for over 35, almost 40 years. And I do remember the days where I was able to call a nurse and just speak with her. Uh, That changed shortly before 9-11 and then after 9-11 and other uh, hospital-based problems with people speaking uh, to the media, uh, and now it's gotten quite difficult in some instances. Um, Not impossible, I don't wanna be discouraging. So you want, you want to be sure that you have permission to speak uh, or that you, if you think about it as permission and or think about it as letting them know so they can be uh, help you with maybe frame some of those messages or not. And they also might be available um, to be part of um, any kind of ways that you need support in terms of any research data about the institution, et cetera. Uh, that would be, that's the first thing. Of course, um, if you are going to share any patient stories, our storytelling skills are usually quite high and and quite memorable. Um, Like you would for a journal article that you were publishing, you need to change enough about the story so that the family and the patient is not identifiable, whether it's because of their diagnoses, their age, or the geographic location. Um, And those are Again, uh, skills that are searchable uh, as well as guidelines that you can become more familiar with. So, those are the top concerns, or top guidelines that I would recommend. Sometimes a reporter will ask you if you would be willing to speak off the record. And that's that's also something that um, it may be that there's a strike in your hospital and you're out on the picket line or a community health center that's under investigation for a clinician that has, I don't know, been arrested for drug use or drug stealing. And again, um If the reporter asks you if you can be available as an off-the-record source, you then have to decide and be sure that you trust that journalist um, to not use your full name and to provide a quote. Those rarely happen as much as I think people are concerned about them happening, but I wanted to mention it.
0: Those are very good points, and I think if someone Interested in this type of interaction with journalists is listening closely to what you're saying. My hope is that this will allay some of their fears and also educate them on how to protect their job, how to protect their license, how to protect their patients' privacy, and how to approach these sorts of conversations and interactions in a really thoughtful way so that you don't have any negative consequences of doing so. Now, with the Woodhull study revisited, you know the original research came out in 98, and you said at the very beginning of this conversation, spoiler alert, not much has changed since 1998. Is there anything in the ensuing 20 years that has changed? Are there any positives that you could clarify for us here or enumerate for us that, that we can say, yes, we've had a couple wins along the way?
1: I think social media and the use of social media for nurses' voices to be amplified is a big win. And uh, we know that, like you, um, you have your um, podcast, you also have a blog. You have a website. So you can make media. You don't have to wait for the media to come to you. And raising a profile of nursing and raising the profile of your advocacy work on behalf of the populations that you serve in speaking out and supporting uh, health policy legislation and social policy that will impact the lives of the families we're privileged to serve, that's happened and that's happened over 20 years. So our study did not have um, anything that I can tell you would was better in the 20 years since the first study. We were used uh, in only 2% of the time in print newspapers and only 1% of the time in weeklies and industry publications. And that was about basically the same. Now, we didn't do... A media, our media uh, analysis and data um, and a data collection did not include the digital space because we were trying to replicate the study from 20 years ago. And of course, Keith, as you know, um, many print publications have now gone out of business. So we didn't have the same exact number of newspapers, but we we did enough of a comparative analysis and data collection that made us made it. Um, accurate for us to say that we did a comparable study. So, and I think what is positive is that we got, a we had a, a press conference at the National Press Club. There were journalists there. We had a post uh, after we presented, after Dr. Diana Mason and Dr. Christy Westfin and I and uh, uh, Laura Dixon presented the data from the study, we had a panel of the of uh, health reporters, we had uh, Dr. Ivan Oransky, who's the president of the Association for Healthcare Report Healthcare Association. We had. Um Dr. Cherie yannick who's who uh, was at the time the chair of the journalism department at Howard University, and a woman from the w- Women's Media Center, respond to the study. And we had journalists in the room, and then after that had some major press um, in both nursing publications as well as outside of nursing publications. And since uh, 2018, May, when we released the findings, th- those on the study have been speaking about it nationally and internationally. I was in Singapore at the International Congress of Nursing and presented the Woodhull study findings um, at that Congress in this past July in Singapore. And in addition, as a reporter myself, I've had a panel at the Association for Healthcare Journalists in May of this year about diversifying sources in news media that I spoke to the issue of health um, of nurses as well as other health care providers, because I think that democracy demands that we hear more from uh, people in social work and physical therapy and occupational therapy and our colleagues in other disciplines within the healthcare care system, because their frame and their information and their knowledge is also missing from the public's understanding of each one of their roles in caring for preventing and managing chronic disease. And I believe that democracy and journalism is about democracy and diversifying voices, not only in terms of health disciplines, but in terms of gender identity and race and culture is critical to democratizing journalism further.
0: Mm, The democratization of journalism. I love that. And, you know, I became a nurse in 96. I started blogging around 2005. So I was one of the first nurse bloggers out there and it was kind of the wild west. We didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> and yeah, that was just became my my soapbox for talking about whatever i wanted to and yes there we the democratization of media and journalism i think has been to some extent created by this online world where anybody can become a a citizen journalist which i think is wonderful Mm -hmm. uh there's slippery slopes involved there of course but there is a lot of great stuff happening out there and you know as we head into 2020 the World Health Organization designated year of the nurse and midwife. And that is basically in honor of the 200th birth anniversary of Florence Nightingale. So do you have a specific strategic plan for 2020? Are there some things afoot that you're allowed to share right now that might be happening? Or is there anything you want people to keep their eyes and ears open for as 2020 moves along?
1: Sure. Well, first of all, I think that people should be following this on the International Council of Nurses website. Um, There have been updated news briefings um, that are important globally, uh, recognizing already some of the ways that nurses have been critical to mental health, to the substance use and abuse issue globally. And I think that in be one of the ways that the Year of the Nurse and the World Health Organization is proposed that this year be elevated in terms of its recognizing nurses and nurse midwives is that we be more visible. So Everything we've talked about so far on your program today, Keith, is representative of what needs to be done to prep for 2020 and to be engaged in 2020 and to elevate and raise the role that nurses play throughout the world in so many different ways, nursing the community and nursing the world. And I would suggest that uh, the tips that have been shared by you and and some of the points that I made today. If you're new to this conversation or been tiptoeing around it, you have a great motivation to engage more deeply in ways that you're comfortable with so that you will grow in your confidence of being media competent as a nurse and become more vocal around where you feel you can be vocal around issues that are mat- that matter to you. This past year, um, no, I'm sorry, the last two years, I've become very, very uh, more informed by connecting with school nurses and interviewing school nurses and supporting school nurses in the issues that children in our schools and families are facing and it's been a big education for me and by doing so i've been able to elevate those issues through my own social media and my own podcasting so i'm in the media business you know i'm a consultant to carolyn jones productions who's the filmmaker that made the american nurse and defining hope and there's a new film coming out about emergency room nurses
0: that's right uh, Yeah, she's my good friend and I've had her on other podcasts that I've hosted before and hope to have her on in, you know, in 2020 to celebrate all this amazing work she's done.
1: So she, you know, she is not a nurse, um, but has a great understanding of nurses. Uh, In addition to the ER nurse has a big project that will be unfolding as well in 2020. And I'll let her share that with you when you have her on as a guest. The idea being that, um, you know, my work is in media like your work is in media, but all of it comes through my lens as a nurse. Uh, I'm a public health nurse and I see my media platforms as my public health practice.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, it is public health because we're reaching members of the public and journalists and reporters are part of that public, right? That's, that's so right. 2020 could be a watershed moment for us. We'll see how things develop over the course of the year, but hopefully people are going to take notice and the media is going to, you know, tune in to all this stuff happening all over the world. I know there are tours happening that people are leading in England and my friend Candy Campbell is taking people on Nightingale tours seeing her home you know there's plenty of stuff happening and I'm I'm assuming the World Health Organization will be very active because they're the ones who actually called for 2020 to be the year of the nurse and midwife okay. so tuning into the WHO would be a great place to start because they're going to be putting that information out there and we can all tune in now You mentioned Carolyn Jones and Defining Hope in the American Nurse and her new uh, film that's coming out that's going to be about ER nurses, and Mm -hmm. she is really a champion of nurses, I must say, and I've helped screen both of her films here in Santa Fe over the years, so... I'm very, very fond of their work and have met with her and her team in Brooklyn when I've been in town. Great. So, aside from films, social media, nurses making themselves available to the members of the media, you know, reporters and journalists, is there anything else that we haven't discussed that you'd like to say before we wrap up?
1: I like to ask nurses what they're passionate about. And I don't mean that it only has to be about their work every day in nursing. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I like to ask them that is if you aren't already somehow organizing in your community and representing nursing in that way, whether it's at your um, place of worship, your local community garden, your community board, but you're really passionate about bicycling and you Mm -hmm. really think the roads aren't safe, for bicyclists in your town or city, then I want you to think about going to the next community board meeting or the transportation meeting at your council and standing up and saying, I'm a registered nurse or I have a doctorate in nursing or I'm whatever, however you introduce yourself and say, I'm also a bicycle rider and these roads aren't safe and I really like to work to make them safer. For every person who jumps on a bicycle and enjoys the beauty of feeling like a ten-year-old on their bicycle, mm-hmm. who feels younger <laughs> on their bicycle, who's exercising in a way that makes them feel good, as well as um, to do it in a safe way. So find your pa- whatever your passion currently is. The next time you have a chance to connect that passion to being a representative as a nurse to that passion. Do so and be sure to first identify yourself as a nurse. This is another way our movement of helping the public better understand who nurses are and what we do. And it takes place everywhere we go. So it can take place at the local school level where perhaps your children or grandchildren are in school, to your place of worship, to your council uh, committee meetings or your local community board. And I think all of these movements will help better educate the public. And then there's going to be a journalist in one of those rooms who's going to come up to you afterwards and say, hey, I'd really like to interview you about bicycle riding and safety. And you're an ED nurse, so I understand you're seeing firsthand the amount of people who come in with head injuries from not wearing helmets or Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So you get my point. Um, but do it in your passion so that while you're doing it, it's another part of you that gets to grow and develop as a media competent person.
0: Well said. And since we are the most trusted profession and seen as the most honest professionals in the country year after year in the Gallup poll, then when you say you're a nurse, people listen. Because even though they don't necessarily understand what we actually do, and the extent of our scope of practice and all the specialties and education that's involved, still, you say the word nurse, and it has holds a certain cachet, especially in this country, and I think other countries as well. so there's saying you're a nurse inspires a certain level of trust and and often um, admiration because everyone, almost everyone you talk to has some story to tell about a nurse and how they helped a member of their family. Exactly. So they're we're everywhere. You know, we are. Someone told me the other day that we're actually the largest profession, not just the largest group of professionals in the healthcare space. So whether that's true or not, we're we are everywhere. We're legion. Google it. Google it. You can Google it. <laughs> Google it. Let me know what you find. So Barbara, people can find you at Lickstein dot com and. Glickstein is G-L-I-C-K-S-T-E-I-N. That will be in the show notes at nursekeith.com forward slash episode 256. We'll have a link to the Woodhull study, the Woodhull study revisited, your Facebook, your Twitter, and your LinkedIn profile, and your lovely headshot and your bio so people can read more deeply about what you do. And I recommend that... Everyone check out your website in your online presence because it's very, very, uh, very impressive. And now in terms of your, your podcast, should people find that on your website or should they find it in their podcast app that they use or both?
1: Uh, it's available on both. It's Health Cetera. That's one word. H E A L T H C E T E R A.
0: That's right. Health Cetera. So plug that into your, your iTunes, plug it into any podcast app you use and make sure you check out Barbara and hear what she has to say. Cause there's a lot of important information out there. So Barbara, thank you. You are amazing. And I, I, can't wait to continue to develop our relationship and have these conversations over time and have you back on the show. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to episode 256 of the Nurse Keith Show. And those show notes again are at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 256. I hope you feel uplifted and empowered from this episode. And I encourage you to take some of these inspired actions that Barbara and I have elucidated today. And if you head over to nursekeith.com to the resources drop down menu, you will find jobs from ZipRecruiter and Reload and other organizations. You can even register and get free ACLS PALS or BLS certification for your first time around getting or getting renewing those certifications. There's plenty there for you to check out. And you can also read about my coaching packages and what I offer as a career coach for nurses and healthcare professionals. The Nurse Keith Show is expertly edited and produced by Rob Johnston. And Mark Cappiespeason is our stalwart social media ringmaster who keeps the social media wheels turning in the right direction. So be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios until next time from beautiful and slightly chilly Santa Fe, New Mexico and the wonderful Barbara Glickstein bidding you adieu from Soho, New York. Soho, Manhattan, New York City. Well, Barbara, thank you. And we will catch everyone on the flip side.